Well, hallelujah. Everybody glad to be here? Now, another thing is you all got here. You set your clocks up. I'm so proud of you. You did well. Now, there'll be a few other people come in. Just a few minutes, they'll be here. So uh, don't make them feel strange when they walk in. Just uh, smile at them and just uh, they'll understand. But anyway... um, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I don't walk out in an iridescent suit, neon necktie, and red, white, and blue shoes, and a 15-pound Dake's annotated Bible with diamond rings hanging off of every finger, with long, flowing black hair that you always comb straight back. And you drape yourself across the podium, and you say, Now, folks, don't look at me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's been a few times in Gary Wood when I had those folks that I couldn't see Jesus for the glare. The glare was getting to me. Uh, I, I am not an evangelist. I, I've never ascribed to my... For the rest of my life, I want to be known as a pastor. It's the highest calling that any man of God can have to be a pastor. And so I, I don't consider myself some great evangelist who's come in here to wow you. But I, I pray that you will be with me this week. I want you to be here tonight. Because I'm going to share something with you that will just about blow your mind. And you say, well, Pastor Loper, I, I, I find it almost hard. You're going you're gonna to hear something tonight that God did in my life, early in my ministry, that will absolutely stun you as God proved himself to be God in my life. Unbelievable. Because tonight I'm going to talk to you about how to stand in a whirlwind. You hear me? There's people today who are in a whirlwind. And I want you to know, tonight we're going to talk, you, do, you want to call a neighbor and invite somebody to come. Because tonight we're going to talk about how do you stand in a whirlwind with a lot of emphasis on standing. We don't hear a lot of sermons preached on standing. The Bible talks a lot about standing. How do you stand in a whirlwind? There's people in this building that this morning... You're against obstacles, you're against struggles, you're having trouble with your children, you're having trouble with your finances, you've got physical situations in your life, and and you've you've grown weary, and and you're you're just about ready to throw in the towel. I want to tell you tonight, you're going to be touched by the power of God. I am praying this week, I don't want to just have services, I want to have an encounter with God. I want to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So... I'm here as a pastor, and I want God to use me, and I want God to speak through me. And I, I uh, you know, I told you that story about my little grandgirl that was four years old and used to watch me uh, preach in the, in the nursery as I was preaching, and she would watch me. And uh, one time I was trying to feed her, and I kept saying, Carly, you got to eat your beans, you got to eat your chicken, you got to eat your rice. And I'd put the spoon here, and her face would turn here, and over here, and over here, and over here. She wasn't wanting to eat. And finally I said, Carly, listen to me. You know, a Becca, we had 350 students in a Becca school system then. And they said, when a child does that, you just cup their little face in your hands, and you speak to them very sternly. And so I just cupped their little face in my hands, and I looked at her very sternly. Little cute blonde headed, you know, her dad flies the jet for Dr. Andrews and he's gone all the time. And, and mama worked at uh, Princeton Hospital as a cardiac nurse. I just kept their little face in my hand and I said, Carly, because I tried to feed her and, and finally she got exasperated with me and she just looked at me and she said, Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Well, I thought that was a little strong for a four year old. <laughs> And so Rebecca school sister, there, you just cup their little face in your hands. You look very firmly into their face, their eyes, and you speak to them very firmly. And I said, Carly, do you know who you're talking to? And you got to understand, she's been watching me in the nursery give altar calls. And she rolled those blue eyes at me and she stuck out that little finger. And she said, I'm talking to you, my friend. And uh, <laughs> I pray... I pray that somehow when we get done with this revival that we're not pointing to our neighbor and pointing to this say, you know, he was preaching to you. No, I want God. I don't want to come here just to preach a sermon. I want to say something that will touch our hearts and our lives and draw us closer to the Lord. Amen. I, I, I want to be speaking to you, my friend. So... Uh, 
I don't consider myself a great pastor. Listen, I've heard some people preach so good. Good Lord, they preach so good. They could preach on the prodigal son from the vantage point of the, of the fatted calf. That's how good they were. And I don't even know how you do that, but they could do it. But uh, I, I don't know that I'm that good, but I, I do want to preach with the best of my ability and, and pray that God will anoint me. Because without the anointing, there's nothing. And Jesus reminded me a long time ago, without me, you can do nothing. So let's stand together. Let's stand together. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will. And I want this to be a good week. I, I want this. I appreciate, Brother Jerry, you're such a friend that you would allow me this privilege to come to this great church. This is a great church. One of the best churches we've been in. That you would allow me to come here and speak. And I'm so thrilled to have Sharon with me today. My wife of almost 50 years, the mother of my four children and 12 grandchildren with scattered all over the world from Kathmandu, Nepal, to wherever, preaching and being used of God today to minister, and God's given us a great family. Before we pray, I want to read this text. I want you to turn to John, the 11th chapter, and the 18th verse. And the Bible says here, and I'm going a whole different direction from what I originally planned. But I just want to start right here. The Bible says in the 18th verse, Now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came with Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. We know who their brother was, Lazarus, right? Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary, who was so overcome with grief, I might say, sat still in the house. And then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had only been here, God, if you'd have just been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it Thee. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? This is the question that the church needs to ask today. Believest thou this? Do we believe Jesus to be who he really says he is? Now, I'm not finished reading my text. Just stay with me just a second. Remain standing. We are losing the influence of the church in America we're in a cultural war for the heart and soul of this nation. And at this moment, we're losing the war. We are losing our country. People very quickly are moving away from any thought of God, any thought of the church. And it is not their fault. It is the church's fault because we have become weak, anemic. We're not even sure we believe what is being preached. We've got to get back to a Pentecostal revival that makes Jesus Lord, that lifts him up. And that we've got to believe him to be who the scripture says he is. And that's where we're going to, I was going to go in a different way. But God said you start right here because this is the premise of every other thing in our life. You've got to believe that he is. You've got to believe that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Not the rewarder of those that seek the reward, but those who believe that he is. Will you say with me this morning, I believe he is who he says he is. Amen? I believe it. Now listen to the proclamation of Martha. She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, touch me this morning. God, we're living in such a critical time, a critical age. God, I pray that you will just help me to preach the oracles of God to this people this morning. I pray, dear God, that you will lift us, lift us into heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I pray for hungry hearts that have come here this morning. I pray for wounded spirits, people that are depressed. Maybe some have even despaired of life itself in the last few hours. I pray, dear God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will touch them and minister to them this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a little of my history. I was the middle child of 11 children. There was five on each side of me. I was my father's namesake. My father was a minister. I put that in quotes. Not of the Assemblies of God, of another fellowship. But nonetheless, he was a preacher and a pastor. There were some things in his life that were radically wrong. I did not have the best role model growing up. I heard a lot of incredible things from the pulpit, but I saw a lot of things in reality that were incongruous. Somehow what was being preached, and I'm not talking, you know, I just have to be honest at this stage of my life. I loved my dad. I was his namesake. I was little John. He was senior and I was junior. I loved him, but I watched his life. I watched what was happening in his life. And I would hear him preach, and there was something so incompatible. He abandoned us when I was 13 years old. We wound up living on $40 a week. The only thing that saved my life was an impressionable, incredible mom who, who loved God who came home from the courthouse when we were living in an unfinished house. Uh, you know, we had a prime pump and a path. We, we uh, you know, had to hang sheets on the wall or blankets on the wall to have privacy. I know about the embarrassment of bathing in a tin, tin tub as a teenager. And we were living on $40 a week. And we came into that setting. Came home from the courthouse that day and I said, Mom, I'm, I'm not an economics major, but how are we going to survive? And my sweet mama, mother of 11 children, now living on $40 a week, who had just told us, I'll never marry again for the rest of my life. Now, this is not for everybody. She said, I'll never marry again for the rest of my life. I'll kiss my shoulder goodnight for the rest of my life but I will raise you children to know God. Thank God for godly mamas. I said, Mama, how are we going to make it? She said, Little John, here's how we're going to make it. David said he was young and now he was old and that he had never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. And she said, We're not going to beg. Somehow God is gloriously, wonderfully going to provide for us. Let me tell you something. She died a few years ago, and you could have put everything she had in a brown paper sack. She wasn't into stuff. But I'll tell you what she was into. She was into her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She was in love with the Lord. And, and not only that, she had a big God. And when I couldn't see God anywhere, I saw God in her. But let me tell you, as a young boy, I wrestled with some things. What I saw and what I heard, there was such a deep breach, breach, uh, breach and, and gap there that it absolutely devastated me. I begin to think all of this is just a figment of our imagination. I, I can't believe what I'm, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. There's something wrong here. I mean, I heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and His life here on this earth. and I heard about all the miracles. I mean, He could do such incredible things. He could walk on water. Have any, any of you tried that lately? You better know where the stones are at or the stumps are at. I, I mean, 
He could raise the dead. I read a little bit of the text to you this morning. He could raise the dead. He, here, here he is, standing at a funeral service. You know, uh, it's in the same chapter where the Bible says Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible with the longest reach. Tells me a lot about God. God in human flesh. God with just a little human skin pulled over him. And he's standing at a funeral and he's weeping. But just before that all took place, I've just read you the text of what happened. You know, they were so disturbed that Jesus, they said, your friend Lazarus has died, you've got to get there. And the Bible says Jesus abode two days in the same city. He didn't get in a hurry. Lazarus is dead, but I'll get there in time. Jesus never comes late. No matter who you are, this way, Jesus never comes late. And here he is. The Bible says he stands at the tomb of Lazarus. And he just simply says, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't have, I don't know whether he shouted or what, he didn't have to do it. Just by the authority of his word, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And suddenly the ugly machinery of death, the ugly machinery of death was thrown in reverse. And the Bible says, Lazarus came forth from the grave. Pretty incredible, isn't it? It's one thing to heal somebody. It's another thing to raise somebody from the dead. There's a, there's a permanence. There's, there's sort of a, a, a finality about somebody dying. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And he could feed the multitude of people, 5,000 people, on a little boy's lunch of two fish and five loaves of bread. I mean... One disciple had already said, what is this among so many? He said, just bring it to me. And they brought him those two fish and five loaves of bread, and he blessed it, and the Bible says, they break it among 5,000 of people. And after they had done that, the disciples took up 12 baskets of fragments. Do you know that if he had a bless, if he had a bless, the fragments on the same ratio that he blessed the two fish and five loaves, they had enough food left over to feed another 65,000 people. What are you saying? I am telling you, the Bible says Jesus did some things that were unbelievable. Incredible. Remember when he went to the wedding feast of Canaan? The very first miracle that Jesus ever performed? Just after he had been baptized in the river Jordan by John, he came to that and... And suddenly they ran, out of, they ran out of wine. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to the governor of the feast. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> My son's here. My son has come today. It's probably his first wedding, but uh, just believe me. You just do whatever he says. And in just a few minutes, you'll have more wine flowing at this wedding feast than you know what to do with. And Jesus gloriously, spectacular, and wonderfully turned the water into wine. And then the, then the Bible says, and they brought the sick to him, and they laid the sick at his feet. And the blind, the lame, the infirmed, he didn't heal just a few of them. He, did, he didn't heal just those with, with things that were not fit. But the Bible says he healed them all. A-double-L. He healed them all. What a ministry. What, what might, what power, what supernatural power. So, so I read all of that. I, I, you know, I had incredible Sunday school teachers as a young Pentecostal boy, Carrie Pierce and, and, and all of these other sister Hans and all of these people that, that told me these miraculous stories. And I'm, I'm growing up and I become a teenager in this church and, and I'm watching all of this inconsistency and, and I, I'm beginning to wonder, is, is this all just a joke? I mean, is this true? Sooner or later, you see, we have to resolve the, the validity of the Bible and the lordship of, the, of Jesus Christ. So the Lord took me on a journey, and I want to take you on that journey today, and I hope, I hope you'll follow me very close. Because the, the Lord had to show me something about His life here on this earth that was compared with His life after the resurrection. And I want everybody to see it, because I hope that when we're done today, that God will do for you what He did for me in showing me
that truly He is the Son of God. So the first thing I want to show you today, and I want to talk about what Jesus could not do while He was here on this earth. Now some of this may absolutely shock you, because as I begin to do the investigation, it shocked me. Can I tell you something? And you can write them down as we go. The first thing that the Bible showed me as I was wrestling in my own personal walk with the Lord as to whether or not He was really whom the Bible says He is, I saw in the Word of God that when Jesus was on this earth, He could not go into the Holy of Holies. Does that shock you? He could not go into that holy place in the temple. He could not go into that place where the Shekinah presence of God dwelt between those two cherubims. He could not serve in the office of a high priest. He could not trim the golden lamps or lay bread on the golden table or burn incense upon the golden altar. And the reason he couldn't do that, the scripture says the reason he could not do that, because he did not come from the right tribe. The Bible says in Hebrews, the 7th chapter, the 14th verse, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of the tribe of Judah, of which Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. We all know that the priesthood came from what tribe? The Levitical tribe, right? Now, how in the world, in the great Lion of Judah theme that Jesus carries, how, we might say, did God make the mistake, if, if you would, to read that, and some people would, how did God make the mistake that Jesus could not be born in the Levitical church? He came from the tribe of Judah. Now, He could enter at the outer court, and, and some people read the Word of God, and they think that Jesus is in that inner sanctum when He did certain things, and that's not true. I mean, He could come to the outer court where everybody else could come, the, the aliens and the strangers and, and those that were not of the priesthood, he could come there. In fact, that's where they brought him, that little woman that had been taken in adultery. Look, look, look in the book of John. Uh, and, and remember, they, they caught that little woman in the very act of adultery. And, and they brought her in the presence of Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. And they shoved that little woman at his feet. And they said... Moses says she should be stoned to death. We caught her in the very act of adultery. Now what do you say, Master? And the Bible says Jesus stooped down and he began to write with his finger. He didn't say anything. I want you to imagine trying to entangle a person in his speech when he don't want to talk. That's, that's good for us to hear. Sometimes we, we need to listen, don't we? Uh, when you're subtly assailed by people, just, just take time to think and to pray. Don't say anything. And, and, and there she is, fragile, frail, guilty as she can be, condemned, and they've got stones in their hands. They were ready to stone her to death. And, 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 and Jesus begins to write on, in the sand. We're not even sure what He wrote. I, I like what C.M. Ward says, he, he, he preached a sermon one time called Love Letters in the Sand. I love that. And he preached a sermon on this theme. Uh, I, I'm not sure what he wrote. I, I know those men were watching and they were trying to entangle him so that they could get him to contradict the law of Moses. But he begins to write. I, I personally think maybe he was writing the names of all the girlfriends of the men that were standing before him. Uh, he was doing something that embarrassed them horribly bad. I mean, they got the rocks. They're ready to stone her to... I like what the great black preacher from California used to say. He, he said, hey, he said, it's a good thing those men didn't throw those rocks at that woman. He said, if they would have, said God would have turned those rocks into rubber and they would have bounced back and burst their brains out. I, I, I like that. But they kept assaulting him and said, what's your answer? Give us your answer. Now, Jesus couldn't deny Moses because he was the one that inspired Moses to write what he had written. Uh, and yet he could not let them carry out their sentence because Jesus did not. And I want you to, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world. He came to bring you closer to himself. 
And, and so finally these men stood before him and, and the oldest walked out and finally the youngest walked. And, and, and I'm just telling you, my friend, Jesus that day then picked this woman up by the hand and she looked into his velvet covered steel eyes and, and he said, is there any man here to condemn you? And she looked around and she said, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, I want to tell you something. You've read that in the book of John. That did not happen in the inner sanctum. That happened in the outer court. Because Jesus could never, listen to me, Jesus could never, never enter into that holy place. He, he could even cleanse the temple, which again took place in the outer court. He, he could say, get out, you buyers and you sellers. You've made of my father's house a house of merchandise. You've made it a den of thieves. And he took a plaited whip and he chased them out of ten With a holy, righteous indignation, he chased them out of that temple. But once again, Jesus could never go into the Holy of Holies. It's evident that he was born out of the tribe of Judah, not out of the Levitical tribe. He could even speak of the coming destruction of that temple. He, he, could, he could talk about a new dispensation that was coming about. He could do it in terms that would have, was obscure to them. They didn't even know what they were here. He could even talk in, in, in reference to himself about his own death when he said, In three days, in three days, this temple is going to be torn down. In three days, he said, this temple is going to be raised up. And they looked at him mystified. They didn't even understand what... It, what he was saying, that was such a mystery to them. Once again, he could speak in reference to the temple. He could minister in the outer court of the temple. He could, do, he could chase money changers out of the temple area. But Jesus must not. Jesus would never go into the Holy of Holies because he was forbidden, because he was from the tribe of Judah, of which nothing was spake concerning the priesthood. I want you to hold that just for a second. I'm just taking you on a little journey that I went on. And then there was a second thing I saw in the Word of God that Jesus couldn't do. Now this is going to shock you. Martha hints to it in John the 11th chapter, the 21st verse that I read to you. She turned to the Lord in her grief and her bereavement and her anguish and she said, Lord, if you had just been here, if you had not abode in that city two days, if you had not stayed there, if you had got here quickly, my brother would not have died. And when she said that, she was saying something to all of us. She was saying that when Jesus was here on this earth, he could not be two places at the same time. He had not brought with him the power of omnipresence. Are you listening to me? I mean, that's the reason Martha was grieving. That's the reason Mary was weeping. And that's the why, why the wise men were able to find him in one place as an infant. Because when he walked on this earth, he was one person in one place at one time. That's the reason that he could attend that wedding feast of Cana. I mean, he was one man doing one thing at one place at one time. And that's why people in other cities and other towns were, were grieved and bereaved in their towns and in their cities, because you see, they had the sick, they had the emaciated, they had those that were dying from these horrible terminal diseases, and Jesus never came their way, because Jesus was always one man doing one thing in one place at one time. That's the reason Barnabas, when he had that little tin cup, and, and he cried out to the Lord, Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And, and he knows this is his one moment of opportunity. He knows that this opportunity may never come again. He's blind. He's been blind for years. Everybody says, be quiet, Barnabas. You're disturbed. This is a sacred, holy moment. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah that's coming by. Why don't you be quiet? And the Bible says he cried out even louder. Woo, there's power in crying out to God. When you're in need, cry out to God. But when he was doing that, he realized something that so many people in that day didn't realize. That that might have been his one and only and last opportunity to ever feel the healing touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and Jesus stood still. Out of all the th 
crowd that was thronging him and all the noise and all the clamor, suddenly he heard the voice of Barnabas and Jesus stood still. And the Bible says he came to where he was. And the rest of the story is history and you know it. I'm just telling you. That's the reason the disciples could see him walking on water. That's the reason he could do so many things. I'm just telling you, he was, while he was on this earth, he was one man doing one thing in one place at one time. He could not enter the, the, the holy place of the temple. He could not be everywhere at one time on this earth. I, I, and then there's another thing that astonishes me. And when you read this, you just step back and you say, I've never seen that in the scripture it's hard for me to believe that. John, the, the, the fifth chapter, the 19th verse, it talks about another limitation that Jesus had in his earthly life. It says, The Son of Man can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he doeth, these doeth the Son likewise. Now be astonished if you want to. As a young man trying to find out about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I was very astonished at this. The Bible says Jesus could do absolutely nothing of Himself while He was here on this earth. He was the Son of Man. Eighty times in the Scripture, Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man. He refers to Himself more as the Son of Man than He does the Son of God. And the Bible says He could do nothing of Himself. Can I tell you something? Jesus never performed one miracle until something happened. An event that will blow your mind. It's when he went to the river with John. And John baptized him in that river. And, And you know, it was a shocking thing. Suddenly there was a voice from heaven and God Almighty said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. And the Bible says he came up forthright out of the water. And the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit, thank God I'm Pentecostal, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And suddenly he came up out of that water. And Jesus walked from that baptismal service and he went to the wedding feast of Cana and he performed his very first miracle. He turned the water into wine. You say, Pastor Loper, what are you saying? I am telling you, the Spirit came down upon him. What he did, every deed, every miracle that Jesus performed, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was by the Spirit that he cast out devils. It was by the Holy Spirit that he walked on water. It was by the Spirit that, you know, he just did miracle after miracle after miracle. It was by the Spirit of God that he did that. It was even by the Spirit of God that he endured Calvary. Do you know there's a scripture in the Bible that says the only way that he endured the agony of that moment was by the Holy Spirit that enabled him who through the great eternal Spirit of God he offered himself without spot or wrinkle to God. He could not have borne that kind of agony without the Holy Spirit. Now, I've spent a little time here laying the groundwork because I'm walking you through the journey that I took. Because you see, I'm, I'm wondering who is he? What, do, I, I want to know him the way the Bible says he is. So I've told you, while he walked this earth, there was three things specifically he could not do. He could not go into the holy place of the temple, the holy of holies. I mean, here he is. He's God. He's God. He's God in the, in the flesh. He's God with just a little human skin pulled over him. And yet he could not go into the essence of that place where the Shekinah glory of, of God's presence dwelt because the, the, the law forbade him to do that. He's God Almighty. God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. God with human skin pulled. And yet he can't go there. And then... I told you that he could not be two places at once. That's evident in the scripture. 
And, and then I told you, he said it in John 5, 19. I didn't say it. It's not sacrilegious for me to say it. He said it. I can do nothing of myself. I, I can only do what the Holy Spirit and God the Father enables me to do. But you know something? I didn't stop in my study there. I, I went a little bit deeper and I want to take you with me on this journey this morning. Because you see, one time I heard the story about a little boy. His daddy was a traveling salesman and his daddy never spent any time with him. And one day his daddy got to feeling so guilty about never spending time with his son and his son hardly knew him. And he called his son one day on the phone. He was in another state. He said, son, I want to tell you something. I, I feel so convicted that I've abandoned you and, and you know, I, I just feel so bad about this. And he said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick you up in just a day or two and you and daddy, we're going to drive all the way to the Grand Canyon. How many of you have ever seen the Grand Canyon? Pretty spectacular, isn't it? It's about as spectacular. It'd take your breath, won't it? You step back and go, ooh. And sure enough, I mean, this little boy had never been outside the fenced-in area of his backyard Never been outside the fenced-in area of his backyard. And now he's standing with his daddy at this incredible moment. He's standing with his daddy at the precipice of this mammoth hollow hole in the ground, which is an understatement if you've been there. And he's looking at that and his naivety. I, I mean, he don't even know what to say. It's taking his breath away. And he looks at this huge mammoth hole in the ground and he turns to his daddy and he says boy daddy did something ever happen here let me tell you something they took Jesus down from that cross his battered beaten body they had beat him beyond recognition they hung him on that cross his saliva was like blue wool just sticking to his mouth. He cried, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar mixed with gall. His, his, his blood spilt on the, those rocks below and baptized those Palestinian rocks that was below that cross. They screamed at him in anger. He saved others, but he himself, he could not save. They planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. He died the most gruesome death. And finally, he just looked up and said, It's finished. And he gave up the ghost and he died. And they took him down from that cross. And they laid him in that tomb. And for three days, death pinned his icy shoulders to the floor of that tomb. But my Bible says God sent a power through the night. And it touched, it touched the dead body of Jesus. And the Bible says up. From the grave he arose like a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose, he arose, he arose. Oh, he was seen of many witnesses for many days. He was seen of 500 at one time. He even had breakfast with his disciples. Ain't it wonderful to know that in our resurrection body we're going to be able to eat. One of the great luxuries of life. <laughs> We're going to be able to eat. And I want us to, I, I just, I want us to look at this Lord now. And this was the glorious, incredible, wonderful revelation that God gave me. As a young boy who had seen such inconsistency and things so incompatible and, and hypocrisy and, and things that were said so well and lived so poorly. And I just said, is there really a God? Is Jesus who He said He was? And suddenly God showed me this turn right here. Oh, there was things that when He walked this earth He could not do. But oh, what a difference a day makes. What a difference... The resurrection makes. Aren't you glad you're living on the other side of the resurrection today? I am. Amen. Let me tell you something. He was with those disciples until a cloud came and received him out of their sight. 
And suddenly the King of glory passed through the everlasting gates of the city of God to take his place at the right hand of the Father. Now let's just look at this Lord, and we're going to do a little reversal here. Let's look at this Lord who could not enter into the Holy of Holies. That place made with human hands. He could not enter that. You say, why? Why did God do that? Did God make a mistake? Was He born in the wrong tribe? No. I just want you to know something. That was only symbolic of the reality that was to come. Why would He want to serve in a symbolic way when He was going to serve in reality in heaven? He's got, he is right now at the right hand of the Father. He is our heavenly high priest. He ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. Let me tell you, we can come boldly into the presence of God. And the only way we, the only name that we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. We come into the presence of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he could not do in a symbolic way, he's doing in reality in heaven right now. You see, he's appearing into the presence of God for us. And like those Old Testament priests who would slit the, the throat of a lamb or a bullock or even take a turtle dove or whatever. Do you know those people were never saved by the blood of a brute animal? Never ever! If the resurrection had not taken place, we would still die in our sins because we're not saved by the blood of some animal. That was only symbolic. That spoke of the perfect lamb, the one without spot or blemish, the one who was to come. That's what that spoke of. Amen. And Jesus not only served as the priest, but he also served as a sacrifice himself. He offered His own blood to make an atonement for the entire world. I, I am so glad today that I don't have to go through a Catholic priest. If you're Catholic, I don't mean to offend you here today. I don't have to go to a confession booth. I don't have to go through some catechism or, or go through all these rosary beats. No, sir. I can come boldly into the presence of God. There is one mediator between God and man. Not a priest, not anybody else. You don't have to go. To, there is one mediator between God and man. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. And when you come to Him today, let me tell you, I hope during this revival, whatever need you have, whatever grief you're walking through, I pray that you will come to your heavenly high priest and you will cry out in the name of Jesus and say, oh God, hear my cry. I'm telling you, his hand is not shortened. His ear is not deaf. He does not have a heart of stone. He will respond to your cry this morning. What about this one? What about this one who could not be two places? At the same time, he was one man doing one thing in one place at one time. Well, that's changed. Jesus said, where two or three gathered in my name, I'm going to meet with you. I'll be in your midst. No matter who you are, where you're at, you, you can be on the backside of nowhere. You can be in a dark hospital room. You can be in a psych ward. You can be in a place where you thought God was a million miles away. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be in the midst. Number, you know, for a number of years, I, I was youth director for the state of Alabama. And during that time, I literally raised millions and millions of dollars for Speed the Light. I was Speed the Light speaker all over the world. All over the country. I went and, and we'd raise money for Speed the Light. I remember one day, Jim Wellman told me, he said, we're going to fly out tomorrow, and we're going to Point Barra, Alaska. Boy, I got that big Eskimo coat on. <clears throat> I pulled that woofer around my long loper nose. I'll never forget, we got on that plane, and we flew to Point Barra, Alaska. It's very, very close to the North Pole. I'll never forget the pilot said, we're getting ready to make a touchdown on the snowpack ice runway. When he gave the signal, I, I, I undid my belt. I said, I want to be the first one off this airplane. 
I've never been this far north in my whole life. It was only about 30 degrees below zero. I didn't know that. But I'll never forget. I, I, I had that Eskimo jacket on and I had that wolf fur pulled up around my nose and I stepped to that door and suddenly the air was so cold. I, I, I couldn't breathe. It took my breath away. I stepped back. It stung me so bad. It was so cold. And I looked out across that tundra. I looked out across that, that ice-packed community where you didn't see houses. You'd never see a house like you see here. All you saw was little stacks sticking up above the snow and ice, like this right here. I'll never forget Jim Wellman took me down to this little Quonson Hut church. I'm freezing to death. I, I can't even talk. I'm so cold. I mean, I've been that cold at funerals before and out in the cemetery, but I was cold. I, I was freezing to death. And we went in this little Quonson Hut, Hut Church, Assembly of God Church, raising money for... And I turned to Jim. I said, Jim, are, are, are you stupid? I mean, what, what are we doing here? I mean, it's obvious. There's nobody going to show up in this land, land of endless day. I, I mean, they don't even know when it's dark to come to church. And, and I'm freezing. I told him, I said, I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to talk. This place is cold in here. And, and, and so then, in this land of endless days, suddenly about 6 o'clock, the back doors open, and here comes this bunch of Eskimos in. Their Eskimo suits and their little muckluck boots and all of this. And, and suddenly Jim invited this lady to the front on this old antique piano in this Quonson Hut church, and she struck a note on the piano, and suddenly, all of those little Eskimos, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, have you ever heard Eskimos sing? It's guttural. It sounds like they're clearing the throat. But it, it was beautiful. But I, I, didn't, I shouldn't have said that, should I? But it's very guttural. When they talk, it's guttural. But I want to tell you something. Guttural as it was, when she hit that note on that piano, Suddenly in that Indian Eskimo Askabaskan tongue, those Eskimos begin to lift their voice and they begin to say, sing, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And I thought I was in a massive cathedral and suddenly God whispered to me and he said, listen, John Loper, I can be any place I want to be, anytime I want to be. If I want to be in a God forsaken place like Point Bear, Alaska, next to the North Pole, I can be any place I want to be. God is not limited by time and space. I'm telling you, He can be where you're at any time you need Him to be there. Mm. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be in His midst. It don't matter whether you're in Soul Career with Dr. Cho, the largest Christian church in the world, where when they call you to prayer, you'd have to see it to believe it. They pray so fervently. They have to ring a bell to get them to stop praying. Thousands and thousands of people. Or to be at David Mahan's church where Sharon and I preached in India. Where they'll let 10,000 people out this way and 10,000 people coming this way. And they do it about 50,000 strong. I've never felt the presence of God stronger in my life. But you don't have to be in a church of 50,000. You don't have to be in a church of, of 500. You can be a church of five. You can be in a church of, it can be just you and Jesus. You can feel like you're on your Jericho Road. It's just Jesus and you. But I want to tell you something. Where you call upon the name of Jesus, I am telling you, Jesus will meet you there. He'll meet you there. He can be any place he wants to be anytime he wants to be there. Now what about this one who said, I can do nothing of myself except the Holy Spirit enable me? I didn't say that. He said that. What about him now? I'll tell you what about him. When God the Father saw Jesus from his earthly mission after dying on the cross, after living a sinless life, Dying that horrendous death, being laid in a tomb, resurrected from the dead, 
and suddenly ascends into the heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of God. And this is what the, uh, this is the old paraphrase. And God sees, God the Father sees him coming. And God the Father reaches around and he takes the, the scepter of universal authority. And as Jesus approaches him, he says, Jesus, this is the scepter of universal authority. And if they shall ask anything in your name, believing, I will do it. Because I'm going to give your name clout. Amen. Your name your name's going to be like E.F. Hutton. When you speak, the devil and all the kingdoms of hell have to listen because there's going to be power in your name. At the mention of your name, Nikita Khrushchev is going to have, Saddam Hussein, who's going to have to bow. Let me tell you, Premier Putin, I don't care how many, the Crimea, whatever he takes over, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day you're going to be in a place where you don't have access to a doctor. My little boy with a fever. 106. We didn't know what to do. We'd done everything we could do. We just laid our hands on Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You've got to come, Lord. We don't know what to do. You've got to come. Jesus said, I'll be, I'll be there. All power in heaven and earth has been given to him. Let me tell you, you got to believe it to receive it. You got to believe it to enact it. That's the reason I preach. That's the reason we're going to start the revival this way. We got to start with believing who He is. That no matter what problem you have in your life, what situation you've brought in this building, God is able. God can turn. I don't care if it's a wayward daughter. I don't care if it's, it's a child that's out of control. I don't care if your finances are in havoc. I don't care what your health is. I believe that my God is able. And the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Give it to Him. And so this is the way we're going to start. I want somebody to come to the instrument. I want Jonathan, if we could just be very, very soft. Very, very soft. A few years back, I had a heart condition. And my doctor said, we've got to treat this as vigorously as we possibly can. We're going to attack it. We're going to stop it right where it's at. And some of you may be on the drug Lipitor, so don't, don't do anything that your doctor don't tell you to do. But they put me on 80 milligrams of Lipitor. Real soft. 80 milligrams of Lipitor. And I was okay for six months. But I was golfing with Pastor Ron Cox and my son. And I came home one day and I knew something was wrong. Something was happening in my body. And I didn't know what was happening. The next morning I got up. And my body was contorting involuntarily. My muscles in my calves and my legs, my legs would just draw up. And the calves in my, in my legs, was just, it was just horrible what was happening. I, I didn't know what was happening to me. I, I don't want to draw this out long, but it, it, it went on for almost seven or eight months. And I was dying. I was literally dying. And I didn't have a doctor that could tell me what was wrong with me. I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. At that time, Drayton Neighbors was the Chief Justice of Alabama, one of the dearest friends I've ever had in my life. He and I had traveled together. And 
I'd gone with him on speaking engagement. He even spoke at Southeastern University and he and I flew down together and he had become such a dear friend of mine. And he was checking with me every week and every week I was getting worse. I'm a workaholic, so I would go to the office and I could not work. I would go and lay down on the couch and, and, and when my wife would touch my feet, they would be just like, they'd be like a cube of ice. Something was tragically happening to me. And, and they went through everything, you know. They, they, they said, well, we think you've got Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's disease. They went through a whole gamut. I, I was a guinea pig for a long time as they tried to find out what was happening. I was dying. I was literally dying. Finally, Dr. Judge Chief Justice Drayton Neighbors called and he said, John, he said, if we don't get you some help, you're not going to survive. You know, I, I even had nominal pastors. I, I helped found Mission Birmingham. And so these guys came out and, and they prayed for me. All these, if I name the biggest churches in Birmingham, I'll never forget they came into my house and they laid hands on me and they said, Lord, I'm not making fun of them, honest. They're my dearest friends. Lord, heal John if this is not a sickness unto death. That really was encouraging. (laughs) And Lord, if it be your will, spare his life. Lord, he don't know what's wrong and we don't know what's wrong and the doctors can't find out what's wrong. Lord, touch him if you will. That day I promised God, if I do get over this for the rest of my life, I don't care how how desperate somebody is. I don't care what point of death they're at. When I walk into that room and I lay hands on them, I'm going to lay hands on them and pray for their healing and believe God's going to heal them. Amen. Because I'm Pentecostal. And I believe in divine healing. I believe Jesus is who He said He was. He is a healer. And the Bible says, and He healed them all. But I was dying. I'll never forget the day that Drayton had sent me up. He said, I've already called the president of UAB. He said, I'm setting you up with the the best neurologist there is in the whole country. He's meeting with you. But he says, he got to do some tests. I went and I did the test. And they did this nerve conduction test where they're seeing the response of my you know, the pain and the response and how my, my legs responded. And, and there was a number of nurses that were in there with me. And I heard them whispering as I lay on the table. Well, that can't be right. There's, some, there's something wrong there. I, I've never seen that before. And they were whispering. I could hear them. I've just never seen that, that before. And my anxiety kept going up because I knew something was desperately wrong with me. But there was no answer and everybody had tried to find an answer. Nobody could find an answer. I've been to doctor after doctor after doctor and I'm dying. I'm dying. I love my wife. I love my family. I don't want to die. I want to live. And suddenly they all walked out. Then there was a little African-American nurse they had already left out. She came back in. I'll never forget as long as I live. And she said, I know you heard some of the whispers because I can see it in your face. And she said, I shouldn't say this. She said, but you know, there's something desperately wrong here and we don't understand. She said, I'd already walked out. She said, but God spoke to me. I'm glad God still speaks speaks to people today. She said, God spoke to me. And God told me to come back in. You don't know me, but I know you. I've been listening to you for years on Gary Went Alive. She said, you've so touched my heart in years past. And she said, the Holy Spirit sent me back in here. And God wants to say to you, you are not going to die. You're going to live. Woo! God 
going to raise you up for his glory. A few days later, that world famous doctor that they got me to looked at me and said, I think we have your problem. He said, you've had a reaction to a statin drug, Lipitor. You're on the maximum dose. In fact, you're overdosed. It has eaten the mylar lining off of your nerves, like the insulation on electrical wire. It's eaten the lining off of your nerves. That's the reason you're in such pain. That's the reason no matter what we've given you, it has not given you any comfort. I said, just tell me I'm going to be better. He said, I don't know, but we're going to take you off of it and see. And I want to tell you something. Within just a few days, God brought me an answer. God healed me. God touched me. Let me tell you. I believe it was because God spoke to a little African-American lady. And she came back in and she gave me a word from God. She believed in the God who is. And that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me tell you something. You have brought situations into this building this morning. They seem incomprehensible to you. You've got dreams and ambitions. You've got children that, that have almost taken you to the insane asylum. You've got situations in your life that seemingly are out of control. I have come here to preach this revival to tell you God is still on the throne. He's God Almighty. I'm Pentecostal. I believe He has the power to change a situation. I want everybody in this building to come. I want you to stand up right now. Don't, don't go for the door. I want you to come right here. You don't want to miss tonight. Tonight we're going to preach on, you know, how to stand in the world. I want you to come right here. If you have a need, I want you to come right here. Come on. Everybody in this building, come on. Sing if you will. Come on. Come on right now. Come on very quickly. Come very quickly.